0: Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people who know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. Alright, good morning. How are we? Good, great to be with you. If you got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're gonna be in the book of Colossians. So we're going to open up the book of Colossians. We're going to be diving into that. I'm excited over the next couple of months, we're going to be diving in hot and heavy into the book of Colossians. Before we do that, I got to tell you something. I want to tell you how awesome of a church that we have. I've been thinking about it over the last couple of weeks, and there's a couple of reasons why. I want you to know how awesome the people are in this room. As a matter of fact, if you're a guest, you know this is not a perfect church, but I tell you what, it's an awesome church, and. And I love them. I love, and, and it's not because of what we do or how well we preach or sing songs or lead music or do greeting or any of those things. I tell you the reason why this is an amazing church is because of the people. The people are amazing. And here's two examples of, uh, of why I say that. Number one, we had our Endeared Ladies Banquet uh, last weekend. And I tell you what, it was fantastic. Our deacons knocked it out of the park and, and I sat there, I, I just was thankful enough to get to be invited to that. And so I, I hung out and man, I just sat there and smiled the whole time because of how well we love our widows and how just the smiles on their faces as they were being cared for and loved. I just tell you, it was awesome. So that's the first reason, and and I can give you a thousand different reasons, but the the second reason that I want you to hear this morning is is due to the fact that whether you realize this or not, and you, you wouldn't know this because this is kind of a behind the scenes thing, but up to Easter, we had a two month period there where one of the members of our church decided, you know what, I'm gonna gather a group of prayer warriors and we're gonna pray for every family unit by name for two months leading up to Easter. And so you don't know this, but you've had people praying for you by name leading up to Easter. Every one of you have been prayed over. And man, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty great. And I just want you to know how amazing this group of folks is and how well loved you are, whether you realize it or not, because a lot of it is behind the scenes, but just, man, I'm so honored to get to be here and to get to lead, uh, lead you. So thank you for that opportunity. Okay. So, early 1940s entire country comes together for what is known as the most significant event in the 20th century you may know that as world war ii you know there's something a part of me that wishes that i could have been a fly on the wall during that time and 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 the reason being is because man can you imagine an entire country coming together with one particular focus. You know, we're divided on many different things, but boy, we come together for one particular focus, and that is to fight an enemy. And I just wish I would do anything to have been a part of that time. As a matter of fact, do we have any folks who were around during World War II? Do we have any left? Yes? That's amazing, yeah, let's. Pretty great, pretty great. Yeah, man, I, I wish I could have been there to see them all come together in this war effort. But there's one particular group of people who oftentimes go unnoticed during that time. And you know who they are? The men and women who served at the U.S. Postal Service. Man, I think in many ways they are some of the unnoticed heroes of World War II. And In fact, the United States Postmaster General said of letters during this time, He said, we realize that rapid communication with parents, associates, and loved ones strengthens fortitude, enlivens patriotism, makes loneliness endurable, and inspires to even greater devotion the men and women who carry on our fight far from home and from friends. I think the point of that is to say that letters have a lot of power. They have a lot of power because of those letters, men and women were inspired. They were encouraged to keep on fighting in the battle. And this morning, what I want you to see as we unpack the book of Colossians is that it is a letter, but it's a powerful letter. It's written by Paul and his protege, Timothy. Timothy is somebody that Paul poured his life into. And they're writing this letter to do a couple of different things. Number one, they're writing this letter to draw a line in the sand. There's a line being drawn in the sand in this cosmic spiritual battle that you and I are caught up in. It's no different back then. In the first century, there's this spiritual battle that's taking place. And Paul is drawing a line in the sand and he says, hey, are you going to be captive to the world? or Are you going to be captive to Christ? But you can't have both. And so Paul is calling the Colossian church into, he says, listen, you're either going to be captive to the world, you're going to be captive to Christ, but you can't have both. And so I'm going to plead with you to engage in the battle, to unite with one another, the church, to unite together and engage the battle, but do so. And I want you to push through. I want you to grow into maturity in the faith. That's really the heartbeat of what Paul and Timothy are getting at in this letter. He, he wants us to engage in the battle and to grow up into maturity in the faith. I mentioned this just a minute ago, but I want you to know very clearly in the first century, there's a cosmic spiritual battle that's going on today. Same thing. Whether you realize it or not, there is a cosmic spiritual battle going on all around us. And as Christians, we're caught right in the middle of it. You may feel that, you may not, but that doesn't make it any less true. There is a spiritual battle that is taking place against the good guys and the bad guys. And we have to determine what side are we on? When the line's drawn in the sand, what side are you and I standing on as a church What side are you and I standing on as believers? Now, understand this morning, if you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, then he has accomplished this battle. So we're fighting with the winning scorecard. That's great to know, isn't it? We're fighting with the winning scorecard. Christ has saved us. He's given us victory over the enemy. Nevertheless, our enemy does not give up easily. Paul talks about that in Romans 7, as he talks about this, this waging war that you and I experience as Christians, right? We do the things that we, or we don't do the things that we know we should do. And sometimes we do the things that we're not supposed to do. We know what we're supposed to do, but we don't do them. Why? It's because there's a cosmic battle that's going on in our lives, in our hearts, in our world. And we're living this broken world. It is Satan's desire to want to hold our thoughts and actions captive to him. to tempt us to believe that we can do it on our own, that there is something outside of God that is the answer to our problems, that our hearts, that our lives can be satisfied with things outside of Christ. For those who are not Christians in the room, I want you to know that we're so thankful that you're here. This is a great place for you to be. Uh, We want to acknowledge the fact that, that you are here and we love you and we want you to be here, but you need to know the truth that you are being held captive right now by the enemy. In fact, what Paul would say in his letter to the Ephesians is that not only are you held captive, but you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are separated from Christ. You're separated from him. But I want you to know that uh, John three sixteen says that God gave his son for you. He loved the world so much. He loved you so much that he gave his son so that you would no longer be an enemy of his kingdom, but you'd be invited across the line and to experience eternal life with him, forgiveness of your sins and eternal life with him. We want you to know that you don't have to be captive to the things of this world, but you can be captive to Christ. And so for all of us in the room, what you need to know is that Paul is going to challenge us over the course of this study. Again, we're going to be captive to the world. Or we're going to be captive to Christ, but you can't be both. And so as we unpack this, battle, or unpack this book, I want you to be thinking that. What side of the line am I on? Am I captive to Christ? Or am I being captive to the world? But we can't be both. All right. The book of the Colossians. Here we go. Let's dive in. In fact, here's what I want to do. I want us to stand and honor the reading of God's word. Would you do that if you're willing and able? Yes, awesome. <laughs> oh, man, I wish we were all enthusiastic as that. <laughs> it's awesome. All right, here we go. Beginning in verse one, this is the word of the Lord. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colosse, grace to you and peace from God, our father. Paul's writing, he says, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and it's increasing, as it is also does among you since the day that you heard it and you understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved f- fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. You may be seated. As we jump into this letter, there's a couple of things that you need to know. First and foremost, when Paul is writing this letter, he is writing to Christians. That's what he means there in verse two. He says to the saints and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. He's writing to believers, those who have heard the gospel, those who believed it and have uh, implied it to their life, meaning that their lives have been transformed by the very gospel that they heard, that they believed. they have been transformed by. And then Paul goes on and he tells us what's been happening in Colossians. And ultimately what he's answering is the question, how in the world did they get here? How was the church planted in Colossians? How did this gospel movement happen? How did it reach them? And and, and probably the best way that I know to illustrate this is for you to think about a a particular time in your life. I want you to think through this. Has there ever been a time in your life where you wish you could be a fly on the wall or maybe you could have been at an event Did you think, oh, man, I just I would do anything to be able to have experienced this particular event? You know, maybe it's uh, your favorite team uh, shooting that final buzzer beater. Right there, buzzer goes off. They win a championship, I think, of the 98 Bulls. I mean, come on, all right? The 98 Bulls, Michael Jordan takes the ball across the court, shoots it to defeat the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think of, oh, man, I think of Tiger Woods, Masters Sunday, famous chip on the 16th chips it up onto the green the ball rolls across the green and then hovers on that hole you remember that the nike commercial and the ball just hovers and all of a sudden falls in and the crowd goes berserk oh man maybe it's a a famous speech you think about martin luther king jr's i have a dream speech maybe you think oh man i would have done anything to be there oh maybe it's president abe lincoln as he gives the gettysburg address I mean, how cool would that have been to be there? I can think of no greater moment than than when Franklin D. Roosevelt, as he he he, uh, gives the the infamous speech that, that he gave during that sweet moment in our history. We needed to inspire thousands. You know, maybe it was a favorite concert, maybe your favorite uh, favorite band live in Madison Square Garden. Is that event that you wish you could be there? For me, it's it's Pentecost. I would have done anything to get to experience Acts chapter 2. Are you familiar with Acts chapter 2? It's pretty wild, right? There's thousands of people in Jerusalem who have come to to do a wheat harvest. It's just another another sacrifice, another year, another routine. Show up in Jerusalem only. They're met by, by something pretty wild. Peter some guy that nobody really knows at the point, at that point stands up on a pedestal begins preaching the gospel thousands are gathering and so you can imagine many people want to go where the crowds are so they get close to close enough to the crowd they hear the gospel message all of a sudden the the, the holy spirit falls on all these people the book of acts says that 3000 people heard the gospel believed and were saved that day it's the first church plant that that, that was planted in the New Testament. Pretty wild. 3,000 souls. The book of Acts continues and, con- and it tells us the story of the gospel going forth from there all over Asia and the no- known world of, of their day. The gospel unbound, so to speak, as it, it goes forth and thousands of people's lives are changed forever. One particular person is Saul. Maybe you've heard of Saul. He's a persecutor of the Christian movement, probably the greatest persecutor of the, persecutor of the Christian movement at that time. He's converted. Again, he, Jesus meets him on the, uh, the road of Emmaus and, and transforms his life. He goes from being blind. God blinds him, opens his eyes, not only physically, but spiritually. God renames him Paul, and he goes from greatest persecutor to greatest missionary. Wow, it's pretty amazing. And that leads us to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 is a pretty amazing chapter in the Bible. We learn that Paul is there. He's on a second missionary journey. He's preaching the gospel. He decides after three months that he's going to stay there for two years. And you know what happens? This is crazy. You know what happens? In verse 10, it says that all of the residents heard the word of the Lord. I want you to think about that. All of the residents in Asia heard the word of the Lord. That is a powerful movement of the gospel wow I wish I could have been there to experience that and yet this is what Paul's explaining to the church in Colossae he reminds them that they're caught up into something so much bigger than themselves they're caught up in a gospel movement that is unstoppable that is only picking up speed and influence as people hear the gospel, believe their lives are transformed. They go home and they continue to preach the gospel in their workplaces, in their homes, in their neighborhoods, in the places that they live, work, and play. They're preaching and teaching the gospel and thousands and thousands and thousands of lives are transformed. Now see, here's, but here's where it hits home for the folks in in Colossae. During Paul's time in Ephesus, there's a native of Colosse named Epaphras. We don't know a whole lot about Epaphras, but we do know that he happened to be in Ephesus during the time that Paul is preaching. Listen, you never know what kind of influence your life is gonna bring. Epaphras shows up in Ephesus. Ephesus is a port city, very influential, thriving. Paul is preaching during that two-year period. And during that two-year period, this guy, Epaphras, he, again, he shows up in He hears Paul preaching. He leans in a little bit closer. Guess what happens? He hears the gospel message. He believes. And you you know what happens from there? His life is radically transformed. Epaphras leaves this thriving city of Ephesus. He goes back home, but he doesn't go back home as a businessman or woman. He doesn't go home as a school teacher a coach. He goes home as a missionary. See, in that particular moment, the gospel drew a line in the sand and Epaphras had a decision to make. I'm either going to stay on this side of the line or I'm going to take a step on that side of the line. But understand that if you take a step on that side of the line, your life is going to be altered from that moment on. The gospel Draws a line in the sand. And understand this morning that you can't be indifferent. You're either on one side or you're on the other. Thank goodness for the work of the Holy Spirit in Epaphras' life. For he takes a step on the other side of the line. And because of his influence, Epaphras takes the gospel back to his hometown in Colossae. He preaches the gospel to the people in his home, his workplace, his school. And God does what only God can do. He saves the hearts of people and he plants a church in the city of Colossae. And from that moment on, generations are transformed by his influence. You know, we hear in the news and in the media, that Christianity is dying in the U.S. You heard that? You'd have to have your head in the sand to not have heard that. That Christianity is dying in the U.S. But, but I think the reality is that Christianity is not dying, but rather a line is being drawn in the sand. There's a line being drawn in the sand and, and the line is dividing those who are in and those who are not those who are all in and those who are nominal. There's a line. It's being drawn in the sand, whether we like it or not. There's a line being drawn in the sand this morning. And I think my greatest fear is that there are far too few Epaphrases who are taking a step across the line but not only taking a step across the line, but are living on the other side of the line. There's far too many people who show up on a Sunday morning and and hear the gospel preached, hear the word preached over and over and over and over again. They sing a few songs, maybe songs that they like, maybe songs that they don't like. They show up to be entertained. They show up to be what the world calls a consumer but they leave week in and week out unaltered, unchanged. This is what we call nominal Christianity. And there's a line being drawn in the sand. Are we going to be all in? Are we going to give our lives to Christ? And I don't mean just a little piece of our lives, but I mean all of us. Our whole selves, our, our mind, our body, our soul, all of it. Are we going to live our lives open-handed? The idea of, okay, God, whatever you want from me, I'm all in. I'm here. I'm taking a step across the line and I'm, there's no looking back for me. I'm not going to toe the line that when it gets a little bit uncomfortable that I'm going to run back to my comfort on the other side of the line. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give everything I have all that I've got all of my time all of my resources all of my gifting everything that I've got I'm going to give it to you I'm going to live my life on the other side of the line I'm no longer going to live captive to the world I'm no longer going to give the enemy a seat at the table but rather I'm going to step across the line and I'm going to give all of all that I got I'm going to live my life as though I'm living in the fourth quarter I may be tired I may be exhausted, I may be depressed, I may have some things going, and we all do, but I'm gonna give my life, I'm gonna give all that I have over to Christ. I'm gonna live captive to him and to him alone. Now, I know, I know that as I'm saying that, as I'm saying that, I know that as awesome of a church as we are, there are gonna be people who leave this room this morning who are still going to be on that line. And as I was, I, was hit, I was on my knees this morning, I was just thinking, Lord, what do I got to do? What do you need me to do? What do you need me to say? How can I motivate them? How can I persuade them? And then in that, that, that still voice, you know, that, that still voice of the Lord just kept telling me, Logan, there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can say. Only what I can do. It's only what God can do in your life to pull you on the other side of that line. Because I can get up here and I can preach and I can lose my voice and I can do all those different things. And yet you're going to walk out of this room and you are going to be half hearted and you're going to stand with one foot on this side of the line and one foot on that side of the line, no matter how much I beg you to not be. And so I think my heart is, as we unpack the book of Colossians my heart is, is that you would be compelled by the spirit, which is what I am praying for What I'm, I'm begging the Lord for is for you to be mind, body, and soul all in with him all in on the other side of the line. And I just know that the moment when I've I'm realizing that, that I can't do it, that I can't fix that problem. I know that when I go to my knees in prayer, crazy things happen. And so that's what I'm gonna pray for. I'm gonna pray that crazy things happen. I'm gonna pray that we are not a statistic. Do you wanna be a statistic? Yeah. Me either, I don't wanna be a statistic. The statistics right now are that 50% of Christians are, that are, only, are here only 50% of the time. That's kind of a crazy statistic. If you're all in, why in the world would you not be here on a Sunday morning? I've heard all the things. Well, you know, we're tired. We need a family day. Listen, God will redeem your time. God will provide for you in your resources. Like I can't understand why 30% of the church gives to the Lord. Like, I just can't, I just can't get that. I'm sorry, it's me just being real and honest with you. I, I cannot fathom how you can say that God is my priority in my life and yet I'm not here on a Sunday and I'm not giving to the Lord what is already his. I'm just telling you, I'm, gonna, I'm just being real honest with you. I don't think God's the priority in your life. I think you got a whole list of other things that is the priority in your life. And, and, and can I just be real honest? I think you're on the wrong side of the line. It's like, I, I love you. God's called me to be here and to stand on this stage this morning. And, and I can't go to sleep if I don't tell you the truth. I don't want us to be a statistic. I want us to be a thriving church. And listen, if the statistics are true of, of, what's, of, of, of us, think about what we're doing right now on 30%. You give me a hundred percent and let's watch what the Lord does. Watch how many people we can reach. Watch how many churches can be planted. Don't clap. Don't clap yet. Clap when I've got a hundred percent buy-in because this church is not going to be a consumeristic church. You know, one of my good friends, maybe y'all remember this, but there's a point where um, I I called us not to be a cruise ship, but a battleship. Y'all remember that? One of my good friends brought me this awesome battleship. It's the coolest thing. It's got FB Belton on the side of it. If I could, and maybe somebody in this room knows how to do this, but I would make a four foot version of that and I would put it at the front door so that every time when you walk through the door, you would know that this is a battleship. It's not a cruise ship, that everybody's got a job. Everybody's got got a position and we're in a battle and we're not gonna back down because we're gonna live on the other side of the line. Because I want you to remember that it's gonna take all of us, not a few of us, not 30% of us, right? Right when Paul's preaching to the church in Colossians, he's not talking to 10% of them. He's talking to 100% of them. Paul didn't have that in his vocabulary. He didn't have that in his thought that only 10% were gonna receive what he had to say. He, he's, he's speaking to a people and he's pleading with, no, no, I want the whole church to come on the other side of the line. That means all of us. It's gonna take every single one of us to say, hey, there's a line being drawn on the sand and I'm not gonna live in the status quo. I'm not gonna be a nominal statistic. And watch what God does with your life. Look at what God did with Epaphras' life. An entire church plant came into fruition. Because a one person just so happened to be in Ephesus and he just so happened to be there at the same time that Paul was there. And it just so happened that Paul preached the gospel and it just so happened. You catch my drift? And it just so happened that he heard, he believed, he took it seriously and he stepped across the line. He stepped across the line. My fear is not that Christianity is dying. My fear is that far too many Epaphrases are being raised up in the church to take the gospel seriously. And I can't do it for you. I wish I could. I'm a fixer. I wish I could. I wish I could go to work with you and encourage you. Hey, you can do it. Share the gospel. I wish I could Go to your home with you and say, Hey, look at this beautiful home that God's blessed you to give and to bless others with. I wish I could go to the golf course with you. I wish I could go to the ball field with you and say, Hey, utilize this as an opportunity for gospel witness. I'm as competitive as anybody else. But as I'm coaching six year old soccer, yeah, you know what? I'm all about winning. Don't get me wrong, we're there to win. but I'm there for their souls because their souls are going to be far more important than whether or not they win or lose in six-year-old soccer. I'm pleading with you. Be an Epaphras. Be an Epaphras. Take the gospel seriously. Allow it to transform your life and allow it to lead you to be an influence to transform somebody else's life. You know, I love what Paul says to the Colossian church in verse three. He says this, he, he, he speaks of three particular things. He says, I thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when I pray for you. Verse four, since, this is the line being drawn on the sand. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope that you have, hope laid up for you in heaven. He commends them for their faith in Christ Jesus. And understand, y'all, this is not a easy believism kind of faith. This is not running the course of a false doctrine that says that you can pray a prayer and that you can go about living your life how you want to live your life. And at the end, you'll be fine. That's not what Paul has in mind here. What Paul has in mind here when he talks about faith in Jesus Christ is that that kind of faith that transforms your life and transforms all the people around you. It's a kind of faith where you're not worried about what the world has to say about you because you are rooted in your identity in Christ. That you're not looking for affirmation from other people because you have all the affirmation that you need in Jesus. That's what he's talking about. When he says faith in Christ, that you are standing in Christ. Not standing in what your dad said of you when you were a kid. Not standing in what that boss has said of you at work, but you're standing in what Christ has said of you, which is you are a son, a daughter of the king. It's that kind of faith in Christ. That kind of faith in Christ that that you can't help but share with somebody else. It's a life-altering kind of faith. And the distinguishing mark of this kind of faith is their love for the saints, their love for people. Do you have a love for people? Do you love them more than what you see them doing? Listen, the world is crazy, but people aren't your enemy. The culture is not your enemy, the enemy is the enemy who is influencing those people who are being held captive by that very enemy. And just so you know, our enemy is the same enemy. And it's our calling as Christians who have been set free from that enemy to go into battle to help those on the other side see that there's another way. And we're not gonna do that by judging them. We're going to do that by loving them to Christ. The culture, this world is not our enemy. The people that live lives that you disagree with are not our enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And our enemy is the same as their enemy, only they're held captive by that enemy, and it's our job to go give them that key. You remember the key? You got that? It's on your key ring, it's on mine. Because it's a daily reminder that every day it is my job to take the key that has been given to me, that has unlocked the door of the jail cell that I used to live in, so that I can go give it to someone else and say, hey, there's freedom on the other side of this key. That's the church that you and I have to be. You know, in Colossae, it was very similar to, to what we're, we're living in right now. Their world was divided. They were divided by ethnicity. They were divided by re- religious preference. They were divided by a lot of different things. But you know what they were, the church was united on? A common enemy and faith in Jesus Christ. And that was enough to bring the church together. So that they pushed against the preferences of their day. And they gathered together in unity. And it is the unity that they have. It's the unity that Christians have that sets us apart from the world. Wow. It's the unity that you and I have. It's the love that we're gonna have for each other and the bond of peace that is gonna be a witness to all of the world of the goodness and the grace of Jesus. And I'm just gonna tell you, when we're divided and we're bickering over all the silly things that you and I bicker over because of preferences, what John 17 is telling us is that we are discrediting the gospel. Let that sit. Let that sit. When the church is divided, we are discrediting the gospel. Why in the world would anybody want to be a part of something that's disunified? I don't think I'd want to be a part of that. We have to love one another. We've got to serve one another. We've got to care for one another. And as we do that, First Baptist Belton is going to set itself apart from the rest of the world. And the way we're going to do it is with an eternal perspective. That's what Paul says. He commends them for their hope that is laid up for them in heaven. You know, I think about the Alamo. I'm a history guy, I love history. And every time I go to San Antonio, and for whatever reason, I just enjoy San Antonio. I think it's the Riverwalk, I think it's cool. There's nothing else like it. But every time we go, I, I plead with my wife to take me to the Alamo, because I, I wanna go to the Alamo. And I think, here's the, here's the reason, I mean, I love history, that's one of the reasons, but the other reason is because I think if I could, if I could man, if I could go back in time, You're going to hear me say that a lot. I've said it a lot today. If I could go back in time, I would want to be in that moment where William Travis drew that line in the sand. I'd want to be there in that moment. As a group of people, by the way, do you know that most of the men who were fighting that day were not native Texans? They were fighting for something that was not even theirs to be fighting for. And here they are. William Travis on one side of the line, all those men on the other side of the line. And he says, Hey, listen, we're not going to win this battle, but we're not going to give up. We're certainly not going to give in. And for those who make the choice to step across this line, it probably means death. Probably means death. But there's a victory that we cannot see today that is gonna happen for those that we're sacrificing for tomorrow. And so he invites those men across the line and all but one takes a step across that line. Listen, if we're gonna be the church that God has called us to be, and I hope we will be, I sure hope we will be, we're gonna have to have an eternal perspective, recognizing that we're not living for today, but we're living for eternity we're not living to hoard all that we can today, but rather we're gonna we're gonna live to give all that we have. We're not, we're not gonna fold on to my life and all my possessions and my time and all this stuff. No, we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna be that church. We're gonna be the church that opens up our hands and says, Okay, Lord, this is all yours anyway, so I'm gonna give to you. I'm gonna push it all across the line. As I take a step across the line, it's all coming with me too. There's a line that is being drawn in the sand. And the beauty of the book of Colossians is that Paul's gonna teach us how do we live on the other side of this line? So as we dive into this book over the next couple of months, we're gonna see this is, this is gonna be Paul's challenge. Are we gonna live captive to the world? Are we gonna live captive to Christ? Understanding that we can't do both. And here's how we do that. Here's how we do that. It's going to be a great study. I hope to see you over the next couple of weeks as we dive in and we choose who are we going to be captive to the world or captive to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace. It's only by your grace that there's a line drawn in the sand and it's only by your grace that we can take a step over that line, but not only take a step, but father live on the other side of that line. And I pray I plead with you, Lord. I plead, I beg of you. God, that you would open up our hearts. You would open up our minds, God, to recognize that. Father, we want to be on that side with you. And while we don't know what that side looks like, we don't know what that means necessarily. We don't have all of the details, but we want to live on that side of the line. Would you help us to do that? Would you give us the faith to do that? Would you give us the trust to do that? Father, we need you. We need you to work in this church. We need you to work on our hearts. Lord, I don't want to be a statistic. I don't want to be a 30% church. I want to be a 100% church. Because at the end of the day, Lord, you don't require 30% of us. You require all of us. God, and if there's anybody in the room this morning, whoever that is, God, who who can honestly say, I am not 100% in with you, Lord, that I'm I'm not 100% on the other side of that line, Lord, I pray. God, I pray that you would call them to that today. Father, thank you. Thank you for your patience and your kindness and your grace to us. That even when we're teetering on, in between those lines, Father, you are just backing us and, and calling us and saying, hey, come on. Lord, help us to take your hand and take that step of faith. That you're gonna provide for our needs, you're gonna provide for our desires, anything that we need, Father, you show up in. But Lord, help us to show up and engage in the battle recognizing that we can't complain we can't grumble we don't we don't give energy to those things father that things of the world of bickering and complaining about things that we don't like father when we're engaged in the battle we don't have time for that give us those hearts give us those minds help us to be busy in the gospel work you've called us to It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.